Joshua 3, 12 through 17. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carries the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. <clears throat> now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, where the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The people who carried, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completing, completed the crossing on dry ground. Your, your greatest barrier, people, your greatest barrier may be God's greatest opportunity. Did you hear me? Your greatest barrier, that, that river that stands in front of you, that flood, flooded landscape that stands in front of you, the thing that is the barrier in your life right now, your job, your financial situation, your, your, the, the significant other in your life, whatever that barrier is, it may be God's greatest opportunity for you. But listen to this. It wasn't until their faith made it into their feet that they found the miracle. Can I say that again? It wasn't until their faith made its way into their feet that they found the miracle. Listen, listen. Uh, do, did you know that at flood stage, the Jordan River at flood stage could get sometimes up to a mile wide? A mile wide. Listen to this part of the story again. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. This is the time when they're crossing. This is the time when they're going to put their feet in the water. This is the time when their faith moves from something that's just in their head into their feet. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. What should have swept, what should have swept them away became the story that they told. That became, you wonder sometimes why you don't have stories to tell? You wonder why sometimes you, your faith seems void? It's because for them, it was the thing that should have swept them away that became the story that they told. That was the thing they passed on. That's why we're reading it today. But do you know what it took? It took them stepping. It took them stepping. So can I just ask you a quick question? What's keeping you from stepping? That barrier that's in front of you, what's keeping you from stepping into it? What's keeping you from going after that job, that raise, that promotion that you, you know? You, like, there's nobody else who's a better fit for it. Who, what's keeping you from making that step? What's keeping you from going deeper in your relationship with that significant other? Or maybe they're the wrong person for you and you shouldn't have been dating them in the first place anyway. And maybe you need to move away from them. And what's keeping you from making those hard, big choices? What is keeping you, that, that, that barrier that's keeping you from seeing the opportunity that God's put right in front of you. What is, let me just ask this question. What's keeping you from finding your blessing in your barrier? What is it? 
Now, everybody, take out a remote control and press pause on the sermon right there, okay? Just for a second. Everybody, press pause. I know that's weird. Somebody first service was like, does the remote control have a mute button? Uh, no, it does not, all right, suckers? All right, now, here's what I want to do, all right? That is sermon number one based on this passage, okay? This is a way different sermon than I've ever preached before. So that's sermon number one. What I need you to do is in just a second, we're going to hit the rewind button on the remote control. I'm going to rewind, and I'm going to preach that same sermon from a totally different angle. And I want you to keep in mind what's different about these two sermons. Are everybody good with that? So here we go. You got your remote controls out? Press the rewind button. Let's All right. Joshua 3, 12. I know I'm such a nerd. I'm sorry. Joshua 3, 12 through 17. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priest who carries the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off, and it'll stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage at all during harvest, yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge... Waters from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, I know you guys already know that, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by. The whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Listen, God, I need you to hear this this morning. God will carry you through what he has called you to. Can I say that again? God will carry you through what he's called you to. It wasn't a mistake or an accident that the Israelites were at this Jordan River, at this crossing, at this moment. For 40 years, God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He, he needed to change their entire mindset and help them become a whole new people. So for 40 years, he waits out an entire generation of people so that their children are raised up. Children who hadn't been grumbling in the desert. Children who hadn't been born into slavery. Children who could understand what it meant to have freedom. And in that moment, in those 40 years, they've God has been bringing them to this one moment where they will be called upon to stick their feet in a river that's flowing and to believe, to believe that the water will stop. And what do they do? They step. Because God will carry you through what he has called you to. And now that they're here at the crossing, they have to make a decision. Do you step or do you stay? Do you step or do you stay? Listen, I, I need you to hear this. The water did not part because of their bravery. It was not their courage to step into the water that caused the water to part, although it did take them actually stepping. The water parted because God had called them. And I need you to hear this. God is always faithful. He is always faithful where he calls. He is always faithful. So if God... If God has called you to it, he's going to take you through it. That's what you can always believe. Everybody press pause again. <laughs> press pause for just a moment. Can I ask you a question? Did you notice any difference in those two sermons? 
They do. Now, I, I'm going to, some of you, like, my, my worry with doing this sermon, I've never done this before, like, I'm really kind of preaching three separate sermons, and so we're going to now sit back and look at those two sermons side by side, and some of you may feel like what I'm about to say is kind of splitting hairs, but I need, I need to just ask you, did you notice things? Some of you, did, did you feel uncomfortable maybe at points in one of the sermons or not feel uncomfortable? Did they feel like they were the same thing to you, or did they feel different to you? Here's, here's what I want to help you see, Okay. And, and hopefully this becomes more apparent. The first sermon did this. The first sermon laid the biblical story, right? The biblical story is the Israelites have come up against this flood that they need to go across, they need to cross, and God will part the water. The, the first sermon laid the biblical story over your life, and it said your life is this story. So all of a sudden, it, it, it was, what is, what is the barrier in your life? What is the Jordan River in your life? Is it your relationship? Is it your employment? Is it your financial situation? All of a sudden, it wasn't a story about priests who stepped into water. The story was, what about you? What, where are you going to take a step into the water? And all of a sudden, the entire story became you-driven, Right? That's what that first sermon did. Now listen to what the second sermon did. I, I, hopefully, as we keep, I keep preaching, this will become more clear to you. The second sermon laid out the story of God, and it said there's something true for all time in here. Put your life into it, right? There, this is a big difference. It is not you are this story, and so you need to do exactly what they did in this story. Instead, it's saying this is a story about God and his faithfulness and his goodness, and there is a truth in this story that we can take and we can apply into our life, but it's not like it's, you are not those people, because the reality is, is for some of you, if I had really preached that first sermon and preached it powerfully, uh, there are some of you who, who could, could literally go out and quit a job and start a brand new business and it would fail because you weren't called to start a new business, right? But I could have motivated and you, got you passionate and built up inside of you this whole idea that that's what I need to do. And, and I, could, I could have just really... I could have gotten you guys really pumped and gotten you to walk away from a relationship that maybe you shouldn't be in or maybe even to commit to a relationship that you shouldn't be in. I, I, could, have, I could have driven you in different ways because what I was doing is saying, You're, you are this story. See, that kind of sermon, like the first sermon, that kind of sermon, it feels good to us when you're listening to it because it speaks to a deep part of us that says you're important and you can do it. Right? This, is, this is what we all say to our children all the time. And it's, don't hear me say, I'm not saying this is bad that we say this, but how many of you ever said to your child, you're not important and you can't do it? <laughs> Anybody in here? Like, we don't say that to our kids. Like, if you did, you, you should not do that, okay? Uh, <laughs> we don't say that. You know what we say to our kids? You are, you are so good. You've got this. You can do it. You can do anything you put your mind to. You've got this. That is kind of the American way, and it's not, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. What I'm saying is that first type of sermon plays on the fact that every one of you walk into this room believing that as who you are, and it plays on it. As a matter of fact, it is a real quick, easy way to grow a church and make it really big and successful. Did you know that? Or successful appearing for a pastor to preach that way. So I wanted to look at, because this is not, this is not an issue that just just as a modern issue. Could I look at something that, Tim, that Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy? Now, if you don't know about this passage, uh, 2 Timothy is, is the last letter that the apostle Paul is going to write. He is actually in prison at this time. 
It is, it's kind of, if you know the context of it, when you read it, if you haven't ever read it, go read 2 Timothy maybe tonight. It's, a, it's kind of a sad context. Paul knows that he's going to be dying. He knows that he's in prison. He knows he's probably not going to make it long. And so what does Paul do? He calls to his friend Timothy, and he asks for him to come visit him. He asks if he could bring him some stuff. Um, he, 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 it's just kind of this, like, his last will and testament almost. And so he's giving advice to his young friend Timothy, who, who is a guy that he had raised up in ministry. And this is what he says as Paul knows he's coming to the end of his life. He will be, he will be beheaded for being a Christian. They will cut his head off and he will die. And so Paul is looking out in the future past his own life. And this is what he says to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Do you know what doctrine means? Uh, Doctrine just, it means kind of the teaching. So uh, specifically of the church. So he's saying there will be a time when people will come and they won't put up with sound teachings from the church. Sound also, let's just clear that up real quick. He's not saying like, sound, I can hear it. What he's saying, it's not like that kind of sound. It's like, it's firm and it's solid and it could take any beating that you give it. That it's that strong and foundational of teaching, the doctrine is, and what he says is there will be this time when people, they won't want that. They won't want what has been accepted and what has been taught for thousands of years. They'll want something different. What does he say? They will gather around them a great number. Well, let me go back. Sorry, I skipped a little section. Instead, to suit their own desires. Instead, because internally, they want something different than what, what is being offered. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Any of you have a dog? You guys have dogs? Do your dog ever get the itch behind the ear? And you're like, ah, stop it. Our dog in the middle of the night. Will, I'm like, Quincy, just stop, please. Like, please stop the itch. There is this place. I don't know if that's what Paul had in mind when he talked about the itching ear. But what he says is that these people, us, those people who live in the future, there will be this day where they'll, they'll gather around them. A great number of teachers who will say whatever their itching ears want to hear. Will you scratch my ear? I'll listen to you. Will you scratch my ear? I'll listen to you. Uh, do you know anybody who lives in a world right now where they can get and hear any message that they want any time that they want? Anybody know somebody like that? <laughs> like all of us, right? You can get go out to your car, turn on a radio station, probably will have some preacher preaching on it. You could get on, have you heard of this new thing called the interwebs, right? Like you, the internet, you can get on the internet and you, can fi- you could find any preacher at any, you guys are so inundated with content, as a matter of fact, that you literally could listen every single hour for the next seven days, every single hour of every day for the next seven days, and you could listen to a different sermon on a different passage from a different preacher for the next seven days every single hour. That is incredible. And what does Paul warn against? He says there is going to be this group of people who will come and they will give you something that is other than the sound doctrine of the church. So here's my big question for you. How do you know if what you're listening to is something worth digesting or not? How do you know? How do you even know that I'm not doing that to you right now? (laughs) How do you know? You should ask that question. 
you should ask that question. You should be thoughtful in your approach. So how do you know? Uh, let, me, let me say this. I think you need to come to the table thinking critically about the voices that you're letting influence your faith. Now, let me say this. I am not saying you need to come to the table and be critical, okay? This is about critical thinking. This is about uh, what you do when you read the news or what you do when, you, uh, when you're having a conversation with somebody that you actually put on your adult thinking cap and you think through what somebody's saying. And I'm not saying you guys don't do that, but I am saying that there can be a danger that when you come into a place like this and I get you pumped up and I start tagging on your emotional like stability and I start pulling out that stuff and I get my voice sounding like this, that you can start to put aside critical thinking and just accept the message that's being preached to you. So uh, what I'm saying is when you come around the table, and by table, I mean like when you come in here to eat, like pretend there's a table up here. You guys like a good Japanese restaurant? Anyway, uh, like the ones where they like cook in front of you, and the guy's like, oh, shrimp, oh, yeah, and he's like, hey, you shrimp, you ready, you ready, and he throws, I have a terrible Japanese accent, but he's like throwing shrimp to everybody, right? And they're throwing the shrimp, and I, I am the shrimp guy. You come and you sit at this table, and I'm like, hey, you ready? I'll just use an American accent. You ready? And I'm popping popping shrimp, and I'm popping shrimp to everybody. And you guys are coming around the table, and you're eating whatever I'm throwing at you. And I'm saying, what have you started to come just with a little bit of critical thought to that? So how do you do that, Kent? (laughs) Okay, I should do that. And I'm telling you, I want you to even apply that to me. You need to apply it even to me. It's important that you look at the messages that people are teaching you and you really evaluate, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? So here's what you do. You need to start asking really great questions. When you listen to somebody preach, when you read a book, when you listen to somebody talk, even if it's not in the spiritual realm, you're watching some guru on Facebook giving you three minutes of advice about how to live your life and have relationships, you need to have good questions that you can run these through. So let me give you three good questions that you can ask. Are you ready for this? The first one is this. Is what this person is saying, is what this person is saying faithful to what the Word of God says? It's what they're saying, faithful to what the Word of God says. Because the reality is they could preach you right into a divorce if you're not careful. They could preach you right into you giving up your job to go after that dream that you probably shouldn't have gone after because you have four kids and, and your life, you're, like, you're already, your life is crazy and you barely can make it. And you, for you to just quit your job and go after it, they could preach you right out of some things. So is it faithful to what the Word of God says? You need, you need to know the Word of God. You need to be able to ask yourself that question. The second question is this. Is what the person is saying the point of the story? Is what, is what Kent just was preaching the actual point of the story? Now, let me give you another quick thing. This, this is called the author's intended meaning, all right? So w- what you're looking for is, was this the intended meaning of the author who wrote this. God, authoring this through Joshua, who's writing down his historical account, did Joshua actually care if you go out and start a business? Is that why he was writing this? To get you to take a step into starting your own business? Did Joshua write this to tell you whether or not you should marry the guy that you've been dating for the last five years? Did he write it for that reason? Probably not, right? Let me give you an example of, how, of, of a way that you guys have all had to deal with author's intended meaning. We have a person in our family, let's say uh, they have been grounded from their Xbox. I'm not going to tell you who it is or, or why they've been grounded, but let's say they've been grounded from their Xbox, all right? And this person comes up to me and, and, and they say, Dad, 
Dad, I was talking to mom, and they said, they, they, she said, you can play your Xbox. And I'm like, well, wow. Mom said you can play your Xbox? Yeah. Mom said I can play my Xbox. Well, okay, I know you're grounded, but okay, you can play your Xbox, right? So have you ever been, tell me you've been in this situation or you've seen this situation play out, all right? So later on, I'm having a conversation with mom, and I say, hey, by the way, X, Y, and Z said that you said they could play their Xbox, right? And, and Jenny says, no. What I said is you're grounded, and when you're done being grounded, you can play your Xbox, right? What was the author's intended meaning? That he could play the Xbox or not play it? Not, right? I say he. Sorry to my two sons. <laughs> this isn't an actual example. I just, it was just perfect for how to... He couldn't play it. That's what she was actually saying. You can't play the Xbox. But what, what, could, what could a child do? They say the actual words the parent said in a way that is outside of the context of the original meaning. And guess who bites on it? Hook, line, and sinker. See, if you don't know the author's intended meaning, if you don't actually take the time to critically think about this, you could get swept off into some false doctrine. Into, there, there's a huge movement right now in kind of the Christian world to, to totally take ideas that, that have been foundational for Christianity and to dissect them and to, dr- to drop all of their meaning and to take them and make them meaningless words and then rebuild the meaning into something totally different. So like, for instance, I could take the word sin and I could deconstruct the word sin until it doesn't have the original meaning that you all think of sin as. And then if I reconstruct it in a different way, it makes sin mean something totally different to you. And it changes foundationally what you believe about God. That, I don't know if you know this, but there's a huge, maybe some of you have friends who will even talk about like this language of I'm deconstructing right now my faith. This is vital stuff to start to know. It is important that we start to learn how to stand on sound doctrine, and this is how we do it. We look at what the actual author's intended meaning was. Third one is this. Is what the person is saying, is it ignoring other truths in order to make their point? Is it ignoring other truths to make their point? Uh, I want to real quickly help you understand this a little bit, I hope. There, have you ever heard the idea of heuristics? And this is kind of like nerdy stuff, but heuristics is a way of think. It's kind of a pathway for you to think about things, okay? So there is a, there is a thing called the focus heuristic. And what the focus heuristic says is that if I can get you to focus on one idea, and I can make that idea so big in your mind that you'll you'll focus all of your energy and all of your thinking power on that one idea that you'll stop thinking about other things. You'll focus entirely all your energy on it. Like, for instance, how many of you right now are thinking about the euro and the, the, the exchange rate for the euro? Anybody? How many of you are thinking about what you're going to dress your kids up for Halloween next year? Anybody? No, you know why? Not that you would normally think about those things anyway, but it's because I was using the focus heuristic to focus your thinking on one idea. I was actually using the focus heuristic to focus your thinking on the focus heuristic so you'd focus in on it and you'd think about it. And I was doing things like this because I I, I am a little bit of a savvy communicator. So I moved forward as I talked and I bent down and I put my hands this way that drew you in and I tightened my vocal cords a little bit. So I sounded more passionate and it sounded like what I was saying mattered. And sometimes 
you give a dramatic pause, the people really listen. And they really bite on what you say. And you use the focus heuristic to get them to stop thinking about everything else and to focus on what you're saying. And it is not a bad thing, but it can be dangerous if it's used to keep you from seeing that there are other truths that you need to evaluate things by. For instance, I use the focus heuristic. I'm well aware every time we do a sermon series, do you know what for the last month in church you've been talking about? Bad things good Christians believe. You haven't been talking about the story of Jonah. You haven't been talking about Nehemiah. You haven't even thought about them because I never brought them into the sermon. There is, a, there is kind of a group that uses the focus heuristic all the time in our world. It's called the media. What did you talk about for the last two years? Every conversation, even those of you who didn't think COVID mattered, you still were talking about how you didn't think COVID mattered. And the people who thought COVID mattered, you were still talking about that you thought COVID mattered. Why? Because it was all the media, every single news story was all about COVID. And I am, this is not a statement about whether you should be talking about COVID or not. What is, the, what is the focus heuristic right now the media has got you thinking about? War. Right? War. They know what they're doing. I'm not saying that you shouldn't think about it. Don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is there is, there is this thing that operates in our world that understands how people think. And they understand how to get your, your attention focused on something. Like, for instance, how many people, when they were talking about COVID, this is a little freebie, were thinking about how to really love their neighbor in the middle of all that? How many fights have you heard people getting into and families ripped apart and we weren't thinking about, like, this whole other truth that should have been a part of the equation? But it's because there is this focus heuristic that drives us to see only what, because as a human, you can't be thinking about everything all the time because you're not God. So you shouldn't ever have to know unless you're going to Europe what the exchange rate for the euro is. I don't even know if the euro is still a thing. Like, because I don't know anything, right? Because I don't have to think about it ever. Does this make sense to you? Making sense? All right, here we go. One of the reasons I think, I think that so many of us fall for fakes is because we just don't know the real McCoy. Now, this next part of the sermon, I remember that song that we've been singing all month long that offend my mind so that I may know you more. Uh, this, next, this next section of the sermon like, may be a little hard-hitting for you guys. It's hard for me to even have to stand up here and preach. I think some of the reasons why we don't, we don't know the fake when we see it, it like you couldn't tell, some of you were super uncomfortable as I preached that first part of the sermon, and others of you were like, this is pumping me up. All right, finally, can't you got me going, baby, right? And, and I'm not, you're not bad, but it, it's hard if you don't know what the real McCoy looks like. Do you know when they teach people about counterfeit dollars, like how to know a counterfeit $100 bill? Do you know what they do? They don't say, this is what every single counterfeit possibly looks like. You know what they teach them? They say, this is what a $100 bill looks like. See, there's this little strip in it, and there's this little writing on the collar of the shirt, and if you turn it like this, the light changes, the color changes as you look at it. And they teach them all of these things that are the things that show you what the real McCoy looks like. What does the actual real $100 bill looks like? Once you know the truth, then the truth allows you to pick up a, a fake and, a, and spot a lie anytime you want. And I think part of the problem for a lot of us 
is that you've grown, not just you, all of us have grown pretty comfortable with a culture where you can come to the table and there's a guy with a really bad accent flipping shrimp into your mouth. And I give you your shrimp and you would never eat those few little shrimp and then the rest of your week not eat anything. But when it comes to spirituality, that's what most of us do. Let me just say, if you're a guest and you're visiting today and you are not even a Christian, you are welcome to just look at all the Christians and laugh at them and be like, (laughs) suckers, like, because this is hard stuff. It's real hard stuff. Can I read you some hard words that the author of Hebrews said to early Christians about this? I mean, this, I just need you to know, I'm sitting with you today because this really convicts me to go deeper with Jesus. Hebrews 5, 12 through 13. He says this, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You you should be teachers by now. How many sermons are you going to sit through before you start to step up and say, I could take a lead? How, how, how long do you need to go to a church before you start to say, you know what, this is my church, and I'm going to take ownership over whether we complete the mission that Jesus gave us or not? How long will it take? How long will it take that we'll just continue to sit here? I, I have known 90-year-olds that have heard, like, when I'm preaching, I'm thinking, why do you even listen to me anymore? Like, you, you've heard this passage preached a bajillion times. Like, th- this is the point, right? Like, how much more do you need? And then he says this, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Who drinks milk? Babies. Babies. Amen. You need milk, not the Cheerios, not steak. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. Church. I I know this is a hard sermon hitting. I hope it's pricking you a little bit. It pricks me a little bit. Like, am I really, have I given it all to Jesus? Am I really following him? And you may be thinking, Kent, why are, like, this is a weird one to kind of end with. It it doesn't fit all the rest. Although, I think if we had had this one, if we'd had it right, it would have been easier to spot the bad theology that we were writing before, right? Like, I'm trying to give you, set you up for success, but Christian, can I ask you this question? Like, when are we going to start moving into a deeper level of faith? If, if, if you don't read the scripture, when are you going to start picking up a devotional and start learning how to, like, letting somebody else's thoughts lead you towards how to think about God? And if you are reading devotionals, when are you going to stop leaning on somebody else's thoughts and get into the heart of Jesus and learn to really engage his heart because he's the one that wrote these things down. He's the one that existed throughout all of the created universe and order of all things at all times. He lived. So when you sit there and you read stories about Jesus, you're not reading them alone. You're reading them with the mind of Christ. Jesus, who actually walked with that woman, is right there to speak to you. When are you going to start to engage him in that way and maybe step into the next level of faith? And when are you going to step into things like going deeper and take, taking time away from your cell phone and everything to have solitude with God and, and to start doing the deep things like maybe fasting occasionally and maybe spending ex- extended times in prayer or memorizing the word of God? When are you going to start to go into the deep things? Because I will tell you, it's really fun to go to a restaurant where they flip shrimp into your mouth. It is a whole other thing to eat some really fine filet mignon. It is so good. 
so good. And God is like that. The more that you, the more that you imbibe of him, the better it is. So why am I preaching this today? It's because I need to confess to you guys that for years early on in my ministry, I preached like that. I, I thought I did a really good job if you all left crying from the service, but 10 years later weren't living for Jesus at all. I didn't care about the 10 years later. I cared about the moment and I cared about moving people. I cared about kind of, if I had, if I had been willing to be honest with myself at the time, manipulating people into a certain mood and a certain emotional state so that they felt like God moved. And it was really just can't use the tight voice that thing to move them. And so I had to repent of that. God really convicted me on that. And I say it because there have been times where I've gotten up in my ministry years ago and I would say things like, we just need to step into the water and when we do, God will part it. God had never called us to step in the water. And so I'm repenting before you. And I'm preaching it because good night, it matters. You know people are dying apart from Jesus right now. I thought this morning as I was practicing, this story came to mind, my mind. I think God just wanted me to remember this. In, in the 1980s, there was um, this little girl named Jessa, Jessica McClure. And anybody who is alive and old enough to remember the story will remember. They called her Baby Jessica. I, I couldn't even remember her last name. I just I Googled Baby Jessica. You can look this story up. Baby Jessica was about 18 months old. And she um, was, was playing and walking around. And there was, this, there was a little well that was uncovered. It was just like a little shaft for a pipe to go down. And Baby Jessica fell into this shaft. She was so far down they couldn't get her. And she was stuck and she, her, one of her legs had kind of come up over her head and which had wedged her in and kept her from falling very far. They said that I, it was days that she was down there, I think it was 46 hours or something like that. And, and they could hear little baby Jessica sometimes singing the Winnie the Pooh song to herself. And so what did they do? They, they called uh, managers at McDonald's and they called the local putt-putt guy and they said, we need to get you guys down here to save and rescue this little girl because you guys know how, that's not who they called they called? They called rescue workers. They called people who had been trained. They called engineers. They called people who had been using their minds for years to solve problems. They called people who were ready to respond, and they came, and they dug a shaft next to the shaft that she was in, and they used a water jet to cut through the stone and the rock to get to where baby Jessica was and to remove that little child. And I can still remember being moved to this day as the whole world watched. I mean, Everybody watched as they bring this little bundle of baby out and hand her to one person to the next. The whole world cheering and shouting because one life had been saved. One life had been saved. Can I tell you one of the craziest things about the mystery of God? Is that God came into this world, Jesus came into this world to save me and to save you. And when he did it, the craziest thing he ever did in my mind was he put the responsibility of being the rescue worker in my hands and in your hands. He put that responsibility on us to rescue the next group of people, to be the ones who dug down for them and 
went over for them and squeezed through and pulled them out, did whatever it took to save one life. If the world could turn on its hinges for that one little girl, couldn't you and I turn our lives over to Jesus and say, there's nothing else. I now recognize just how important it is and for us to go deep into him to take next steps into him, to not just settle for faith that's good enough with just somebody shooting shrimp into your mouth. I promise you, if you are relying on me for your spiritual sustenance, you are starving to death right now. I am not that good. I'm not that good. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. Our friends need Jesus. It has been entrusted to us, and I guess the question is, what are you gonna do with that? What are you going to do with it? This morning, we're going to go to this time where we partake of communion and offering and all that stuff during this next song. If you're a guest here or new with us, that, that's what you'll do during this next song. But I want to ask all of you to do something. If it's been a long time since you've really, like, with all your heart sought Jesus, would you find a way this morning to repent of that, to turn around from it, just say, Jesus, I need you more than anything. Maybe come up to the stage to this, to these steps and just fall before Jesus. Maybe you sit in your seat and you just weep because it's been so long. Because you, you haven't been, you've been more like the manager at McDonald's or the, the putt-putt guy. You're not ready for the task. And start to say to him, I, I will prepare myself. I'm ready for the task. I'm yours. All it takes is when he knocks on the door that you're willing to open it. Look, in a few weeks, April 24th, we're going to have a baptism service here. And uh, I'll tell you what, my plan, I hope, I hope that we have a lot of people sign up. Maybe you're out there and you're, you're thinking, I need to make that decision. Like, that could be a really good point to say, I- I'm in. I'm really all in. My hope is that we blow this place up celebrating with the goodness of God as people, like people's lives wrenched out of the depths of hell and find new life in Jesus. But it will not happen just because Kent hopes it happens. It'll happen when we all when we all take a step into Jesus and let him become like there's nothing else. Whenever you guys are ready, this is your time. There'll be folks up here that you can come and talk. If you just want to come and pray by yourself, we'll leave you alone. This is your time to do some business with him, communion, offering, whenever you're